Welcome to Grace to All. I'm your host, Paul Gray. You've probably used the word grace, sang Amazing Grace, or said grace at a meal. But did you know that God's grace is way better than we can even imagine, and that you and all people already have an abundant supply of God's unlimited amazing grace? Today, we're going to hear the truth about God's amazing grace to all people. So, sit back, relax, and prepare to be inspired and awakened to the amazing treasures that you already possess. This is truth that you can handle. Hello again, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Grace to All with Paul Gray. And I am so excited today to have my guest, Dr. Boyd Purcell, with us. I'm going to tell you a little bit about him, and then uh, he and I will start visiting. Many of you already know him and need no introduction to him. But he's the author of a couple of wonderful books, Spiritual Terrorism, Spiritual Abuse from the Womb to the Tomb, and Christianity Without Insanity for Optimal Mental, Emotional, and Physical Health. He's a board-certified counselor. He's a licensed professional counselor, an ordained, honorably retired Presbyterian minister, board-certified chaplain. He has a bachelor degree in comprehensive social studies, a master's of arts degree in counseling, master of divinity degree in biblical studies, a doctor of philosophy degree in the integration of psychology and theology. Uh, He's got over 40 years of ministry in counseling agency, clinical, pastoral, psychiatric, hospital, school, substance abuse, private practice, and chaplaincy. He's provided spiritual care at the end of life for hospital patients. And I want to uh, close his introduction with a five-star review that uh, he has on Amazon, uh, his book, uh, Christianity Without Insanity. Here's the five-star review I want to read. It's one of the absolute best books on God's unconditional love for all people that is available today. His scholastic research and acumen is second to none. His understanding of Christian universalism is without challenge, and his writing is very well organized and compelling. He is gentle, compassionate, and his great desire for everyone to experience the joy of knowing that they and their friends and family are all included in God's unconditional forever love comes shining through every story, concept, logical example and conclusion that he presents. I highly recommend this great book. Well, I can attest to that five-star review because I wrote it (laughs) in uh, April 25th of 2018. And uh, now, a couple of years later, in April, three years later of April 21, we get to meet. You can see through my page, uh, I dog-eared and underlined and highlighted and everywhere. Dr. Boyd Purcell, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you, Paul. It's good to be with you. Thank you. And and as I always like to start out by asking my guests, how's your understanding of God's unconditional love and grace for everyone? How's that changed you where the rubber hits the road in your relationships with family and friends, co-workers, with people in general? Well, it's been good news and bad news. But I grew up in an extreme Christian fundamentalism. And I really was began to be terrified. And I'm not saying that to try to be uh, vindictive or to make extreme statements, uh, but I really was terrified of getting at age eight. Uh, not going to church before that. We lived out in a very rural area. We didn't go to church. Uh, I only remember being in church one time uh, before my parents moved from there into a, a 
for a residential area in the state of Ohio. I only heard a preacher preach one time about uh, prayer uh, for his sermon. I never heard anything about hell, and my parents never threatened me with hell. But I began to hear they thought that they shut their children in the house of God, which seemed to me more like the house of whores, because they preached regularly every Sunday morning, of course, everybody in Sunday school, and then in the worship service in the morning, and then the evening service, and sometimes the midweek service. And so I was so fearful that I did some good news was that I had a period of grace because the church taught us so many fundamental churches and evangelicals that you have until age 12. But age 12 is a magic age of accountability. So a child of 12 becomes totally accountable as an adult at the age of 12. So I, I was safe for a while, but then <laughs> as the years flew by, and I got to my 11th year, I began to hope and pray and beg and plead with God to take my life before my 12th year, because I was not the smartest kid in town, I figured, but if you got a 100% chance of going to heaven before 12, because you're not accountable, and almost zero after 12, well, I'd be 12. And so I begged and pleaded with God right down the end of my 11th year. Wow. It actually would have uh, taken my life. I even thought about that. Except I thought God might send me to hell for self-murder, I heard it called. Uh, so I didn't do it. So my 12th birthday was really the worst day of my life. It was and remains the worst day of my life. So that's my introduction to church. Then you asked about how this family responded to it. When I finally uh, came to this truth. Well, I didn't come to the truth until I was about uh, 45 years old. Really? A lot of time between my 12th year and 45. And I also, in the meantime, got the education degrees you mentioned in the secular school, plus the seminary degree, Divinity, and that was from an evangelical seminary, which taught eternal punishment. So by that time, I learned a lot more. I had come to understand salvation by grace, but uh, I'm still not quite sure about the security of the believer, because I've been taught all the years that just as easy you could be saved, you could also lose it by anything you did. And if you should die suddenly, by a heart attack or accident, and even had one sin on your record, guys meet you at the door and bar you out forevermore because sin can never enter there. So it yeah. took a lot of study, diligent study after seminary. One of the good things is I learned Greek. And so I diligently studied the Greek material as well as various translations. And about 45 years after seminary, I uh, discovered the wonderful truth that Jesus truly is the Savior of the whole world, not just part of the world. And that really transformed my life. But it was not taken well by the church. The denomination. There was nothing wrong with the local church because I had not preached that. I preached a very loving view of God, but not universal salvation. But uh, I went to the powers that be in my local district, uh, in which I was part of as far as that denomination, and talked with the district superintendent. And they had a meeting of the Lysol Nation Committee. And they talk with me about what I believe, and I said, I've not preached this. I've tentatively come to this, and I'd like for you to study with me. Would you be willing to do that? No, they had no interest, whatever, studying the Bible. They knew this was wrong. It was a heresy, and uh, they were going to condemn me as a heretic if I did not affirm the statement of faith, 11 points, and ever jot and tittle. And uh, so I faced that situation and finally decided that I would resign rather than put the church through that, but it's only because of the coercion and how it's received. And, and here's one thing the official said of the 
Appalachian Ordination Committee. Because I think it's so terrible. And I didn't know it had a name at the time. But it's called the Doctrine of Reserve. And what these officials said were like people on the Appalachian Ordination Committee. And they said, well, Boyd, even if what you say is true, and Jesus is going to save the whole world, that everyone ends up being saved, as you say, then wouldn't it be better to preach the doctrine of eternal damnation? And then in the end, if everyone is saved, what harm will have been done? Can you imagine, Paul, any harm that would have been done? I told them, I said, you're really talking to the wrong person. I know what harm has been done to me and to many others in my counseling ministry. I found in private practice, I found this in the hospice ministry, especially ministering to hundreds of dying patients. And some told me, Pastor, I used to be a Christian, but I just couldn't live a life anymore, so I just gave up. Someone said, I am a Christian, but I'm afraid I'm not going to heaven. I'm afraid I'm going to hell because I've not been perfect. And the same kind of thing as I was taught. And so many, many people have been hurt by this horrible doctrine of eternal punishment. And many pastors use the excuse of the doctrine of reserve. Even if it's true, it'd be better to preach a lie than the truth, because you can scare people into accepting Christ. But what I found about that is if you scare people into accepting Christ, then they are locked into a perpetual state of spiritual immaturity, and they never grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Yeah, unfortunately, I grew up with the same theology with an Arminian denomination and was taught that uh, I could lose my salvation at any moment and that God was watching me all the time. And, you know, if I had one bad thought and died before I uh, confessed it, well, it was too bad. God was just, he wasn't powerful enough to do anything about it then. It's just an awful way to live. And, you know, and I think, Boyd, that many people just don't want to think about that. They've been taught that, but many uh, well-meaning churchgoers just, they don't want to, they don't want to go there. They don't want to think about it. So they go along with it because they like the people, they like the church picnics, they like the good feeling they have a church and stuff, but they, they, they're never willing to question that. But for those of us who do question it, it's not a pretty picture. I, with the church that we started in 1991, uh, it was a non-denominational church, and I was the founding senior pastor. So I didn't have to uh, answer to a higher human authority. But when I did start teaching, first of all, teaching real grace, and then teaching that real grace was for all people and God's unconditional love and inclusion for everybody, I preached our nice little church of 250 down to about 25 over the course of four or five years. So it wasn't that I got fired, but the people uh, left. And I'm sure it was for you too. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it was hard because some people left nicely and said, hey, you know, we don't believe that. We can't go there, which I, I respect that. That's fine. Sometimes though, I got literally people said, well, we can't be friends anymore because we don't believe the same thing. And gosh, boy, that's where, uh, I'm okay with that now. I mean, it still hurts. But uh, guys, when that first started happening, I I thought, you mean the only reason we were friends was because we had the same theology? I, uh, gosh, and that was a hard thing for me. I, I don't know about you, but it was for me. I had the same kind of experience. And uh, it's really sad that some people base a friendship on that and you got to be uh, theologically correct or you can't be a friend. But when Jesus said, love your neighbors yourself, he didn't say if a neighbor is a Christian like you, they could be a Muslim, they could be a Hindu, they could be an atheist, agnostic, whatever, but just love your neighbors yourself. Yeah, and with me, I, I've, and I hear this a lot now from people that I interview, one of the great changes that happens when we start to see this is that it takes all the pressure off 
and we can relate to, not only relate to, but we can love our neighbors, whatever their faith or no faith is at all, because we know God has loved them unconditionally and always will, and there's no barrier there. And it, it, it does. It just takes all the pressure off, doesn't it? Yes, indeed. Obviously, you've really studied this thoroughly. You have a couple of great papers that you sent to me, and I got the impression that you're you're willing to send those PDF files to people who request them. Uh, one of them is contradictions created by the false doctrine of eternal conscious torment between God's sovereignty and human will. Tell us a little bit about how you started to understand that, and then uh, if you would, tell us the three Calvinism, Arminianism, and then God's sovereign human free will harmonized uh, by your new version of TULIP. That's fascinating to me. Well, I really analyzed it a lot, and God has either blessed me or cursed me by giving me an analytical mind. Uh, <laughs> I can just hear something, and I don't have to think much about it to know, well, that makes sense. Well, that doesn't make a lick of sense. You know, <laughs> oxymoronic. And this doctrine of eternal punishment, where God, we're told, in fact, is love. God is not just loving, but God is love. One of the four biblical definitions of God. God is love. Of course, God is spirit, God is light, and God is fire. So we have those things, but to focus on the love right now. Uh, we're told God is love, but uh, if you don't uh, hear the gospel and you don't accept Christ and do X, Y, and Z and don't do A, B, C, whatever, keep all the rules and the regulations of the church, then you said lose your salvation. So if hell is forever, then God's love cannot be forever, unless as A.B. Simpson said, or Tozer of the Christian Missionary Alliance, that God, uh, for some reason, will stop loving people that he can't save, so that he can then torture them forever. Or he, God is loving those whom he is torturing forever. So which one is that? <laughs> Neither <laughs> one make any sense. <laughs> so I like the Calvinism in that God's love is truly unconditional and everlasting. And God proves that by drawing them to himself through the Lord Jesus Christ with what? Irresistible grace. It's a wonderful concept. The problem is, though, that's only for a handful of people called the elect, maybe less than 10%. So 90% really isn't unconditional and everlasting, and God doesn't draw them with irresistible grace. So it ended up being damned to hell forever. When God could have, by the same methodology, have saved everyone, God chooses to save only a few. And the first time I heard that at age 12, I said, that can't be true. If God could save one person that way, God could save everyone the same way. In fact, it's exactly what God does. So I became, over the process of time, it's not immediate, but uh, I came to be a Calvinian. And I had a seminary professor whom I respected a lot. Uh, he's very good at uh, Hebrew and Greek, and uh, also uh, Old Testament and uh, theology. And he uh, was a very strict Calvinist, Calvinist, although the seminary was actually quite Arminian. Hmm. Um, but they were kind enough to hire this uh, professor who was a Calvinist. And um, I was one of the older students when I went to seminary, and you know, I became somewhat of friends, not close friends, but uh, friendship. And one time, uh, as we were talking about uh, the class in his office, he asked me about praying for his brother, who was not a Christian. He's afraid he's going to end up in hell forever. And I said, well, I hate to say this, doctor, but uh, if you thought about that, he would not be numbered among the elect. 
maybe he can't be saved. And he just looked dumbfounded. He's like, he'd never thought of that. But I've shared that many times with people who claim to be Calvinists. And it's like it never occurred to them that it would be them. I've never found a Calvinist yet who did not think he or she was numbered among the elect. Your professor didn't had never thought about that. Wow. It seems though he didn't. He looked shocked to say that. And uh, but he still went and prayed for his brother, which would be a futile prayer if his brother was not numbered among the elect. And I talked with a young man who was a uh, college student, and he told me that here's for Christian gospel is Calvinism. And then he went on to tell me about family covenant. And I said, well, what do you mean by that? And I thought I knew, but I wouldn't find out. And he said, well, if you're in the elect and you live a faithful Christian life, then God will choose your children to be elect. (laughs) That's not the way it works. (laughs) Because that would mean that you're having something to do with someone's salvation. Only God is doing that through the Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. So uh, the Bible tells us that God chose those who are going to be saved, or at least the elect, before, not just before we're born, but even before the creation of the world. Before we've done anything good or bad, we could have done it because we're not even born yet. Right. And so people make up all kinds of reasons to try to explain and believe in some theology that's really crazy. The things that... Uh... It does seem crazy now, looking back at the uh, phrases and the thoughts and the constructs that we had that that justified our <laughs> crazy beliefs. They just, looking back at them now, I it's no wonder that people looked at me anyway. Like you got to be crazy. <laughs> you know, that doesn't make any sense at all, uh, and it didn't make any sense at all. It, t- it turned out they were right. <laughs> Well, that was what I heard about Arminianism. That really didn't make any sense. The only thing that made sense about that was that everyone theoretically had a chance to be saved. God didn't play favorites. God did love everyone the same. God wants people to be saved. The problem is God is willing to save everyone. Arminianism, God is unable. With Calvinism, God is able but unwilling to save everyone. So how do we reconcile those two? And what we find with Christian universalism, God is both willing and able to save everyone. In fact, God does. And what I do with that, from the tulip to tulips, I add the S to the tulip. And that is for symbolic fire, salt, and sulfur, which are mixed metaphors which symbolize disinfection and healing from sin. And it's all right there in the Bible. It's clear and simple. Plain as the nose on your face. And people just don't get it. Again, because I've heard of talk to many people, including the clergy. And I say, uh, have you ever heard of being salt in the fire? We're talking about Calvinism, Arminianism, salvation, loss of salvation. How many are going to heaven? You know, only a few. And I said, have you ever heard of being salt in the fire? No, I've never heard that. And then sometimes people, there are people who act like they just can't admit that they haven't heard of something. And so they say, well, yeah, I've heard of that. And I said, well, where did you hear that? Well, I don't know. Uh, But I've heard it. Well, maybe they have, but I doubt it. But if you heard, that's really an unusual concept. Uh, you know, it can't be literally true. You can burn something with fire. You can salt something or someone with, um, or I mean, with salt. But you can't salt anything or anyone with fire. And so it's a mixed metaphor, which obviously can't be true, literally true. And therefore, Jesus made this powerful statement about the purpose of Gehenna, which is literally the city down in Jerusalem. They used to illustrate of hell. And talk about being literal. 
it can't be literally true that Gehenna is the hell that lasts forever because Gehenna today has been cleaned up and there's a housing project there with a beautiful park. So that's not hell, but Jesus used his lust and food of that and said, everyone in Gehenna will be salted with fire. How much clearer could it be that God yeah. is saving everyone? Yeah, that's exactly right. And of course, I, I've read your writing about that. And I, I have a friend, uh, a close friend who's in our group here uh, in Lawrence, Kansas, where I live, uh, who uh, he and his wife went on a trip, not a religious trip, but just a, a trip uh, with a, a, a group of people to Israel. And uh, when I taught on hell, started teaching on that and teaching the the different words that are used and what they really mean. He said, well, of course that's true. He said, I've been to Gehenna. He said, it's a beautiful place with a beautiful park. He, he, he said, if that's the word that Jesus used, how, how, why is it translated as hell? I said, well, we're, that's going to be a long conversation, you know, which we've had, but uh, such an unfortunate thing that it has been translated that way. King James indiscriminately translated, as you probably know, Gehenna and also Hades. And Tartar, I mean, uh, well, Tartarus is uh, used in Peter, but uh, that was the lowest level of Hades. So uh, you have yeah. Gehenna, Hades, and Sheol in the Old Testament, all three translated as hell. And it doesn't make sense. For example, we, they say, some people say you're a little bit more sophisticated. Well, as far as hell, you know, maybe the fire isn't literal, and maybe God is really torturing people, that maybe just a really miserable life that people are going to be going through forever, but uh, it's just probably eternal separation from God. Anything wrong with that statement? Eternal separation from God? Well, especially if you believe in, that God is omnipresent. <laughs> exactly, absolutely. <laughs> and uh, so we say that. Kids learn that in Sunday school. Like a kid that uh, I heard about, he's coming home from Sunday school, and he had a neighbor who was an atheist, and the kid has studied that Sunday about and asked questions about God being everywhere, and they told about this big word, I'm not present. So he's coming home, walking up the steps to home, this neighbor said to him, hey, uh, you want Sunday school? You want Sunday school? Yes, he said. He said, well, I'll give you a quarter if you can tell me where God is. And the kid responded, he's a pretty smart kid, apparently. And he said, quick as a flash, his answer came. No worries, accent's faint. He said, I'll give you a dollar, mister, and you can tell me where God ain't. <laughs> where God ain't. Right. Uh, so I'm not present big thing. So in Psalm 139, even the King James, it says, if I send up to heaven, O Lord, you're there. If I send down to hell, behold, you are there. If I yeah. take the wings of the morning, travel the uttermost part of the sea, and land or sea, behold, you're there. There's no place I can go from your presence. No place. That's so true. And Dr. Purcell, we're out of time for this podcast. I knew it would go by really quickly. And with your permission, uh, we're going to finish up in a minute. And then you and I will uh, will record another edition, which people will see a week later, but we'll be wearing the same shirt. So they'll, they'll either think we haven't done our laundry or, they'll, or we only own one shirt or something like that. But uh, before we finish this time, tell people where they can get your books, where they can connect with you, where they can uh, see the things that you're writing today. Well, for my books are for sale on Amazon and other online sellers and sellers. And probably at bookstores, you can order them if they don't have them. And as far as uh, me, contact me at uh, Dr. Boyd Purcell. It's dr.boyd, B-O-Y-D, Purcell, U-R-C-E-L-L, at gmail.com. And I'll be glad to send you the documents that Paul and I are talking about. 
and additional ones as well. There's one I've read you may want to discuss here about symbolic fire in the Holy Bible from A through Z. I've taken the alphabet and used a scripture reference in each one dealing with fire to show beyond that shadow of a doubt the fires used in the Bible metaphorically, symbolically to symbolize purification, not eternal torment. Great. I, I'm sure appreciate you being willing to send those out. And we'll talk about them when we come back and do our next episode. So as we wrap up today, thank you, Dr. Boyd Purcell, for being our guest. And I look forward to interviewing you on the next one. So thanks so much for being with us. Thank you for having me. And thank you, everybody, for joining us for another edition of Grace to All with Paul Gray. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to Grace to All. For more about us, how we can serve you, and our special guest, please visit www.gracewithpaulgray.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so that you never miss an episode and to join our Facebook group, Grace to All, where you'll be inspired and awakened to more truth that you can handle.